0: Today on the Therapy Dogs Australia podcast, we chat with the adventurous Josh McLean, a social worker and bush adventure therapy facilitator who also brings his therapy dog Myrtle along with him on some of those adventures. Get comfortable and let's get into it. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode with the Therapy Dogs Australia podcast. Today we've got Josh McLean. Is that how I say your last name, Josh?
1: Yep, that's right. McLean. <laughs> Josh yep.
0: McLean with us today and Sam, of course. Hello. Hello. Um, So, Josh, how about we just kick off with you introducing yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. So, hi, I'm Josh McLean. I work with a small family owned and operated uh, business here in Geelong called Geelong Adventure Specialists. My background started in public health. Uh, in alcohol and other drug prevention programs, particularly for youth in uh, rural Victoria. And sort of from that, I ended up in a second master's degree doing social work because I really wanted to be on the front line working uh, face to face with the people Mm -hmm. that I was uh, supporting. and. And through that, I fell into uh, adventure therapy. So being outdoors and in nature and my love of dogs and then hearing about this awesome Therapy Dogs Australia clinical course (laughs) was just a perfect storm. I never thought all of these worlds would come together, you know, working outdoors in a therapeutic capacity, but designing programs that integrate dogs into yeah the therapeutic practice and i'm excited to join you both today and uh to talk to that and i've i've been in this space for 4 years full time and it doesn't look like it's slowing down it's actually it's actually been getting crazier uh and you know the demand for the work um yeah has just been growing so excited to join you both today
2: that does not surprise me at all, yeah. Josh, that, that it's um, so popular because first of all, I think a lot of our um, listeners will be thinking, and so how do I become an adventure therapist? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> how do I yeah. hang out with Sounds like the dream clients job. <laughs> outdoors doing stuff? And I think it's going to be like, a, I don't know much ab- about what you do yet, but, um, the crossover between the animal therapies and adventure therapy stuff, I think is going to be pretty, um, yeah, like make a lot of sense because we're, we're doing so much experiential stuff, you know, like there's so much that we, we aren't just sitting around talking about stuff because a lot of our clients can't do that or don't know how to do that yet, or don't enjoy doing that or insert reason here. So I'm pretty keen. How did you hear about us, Josh? Uh,
1: I think just, yeah, just searching online and and sort of shopping around to find what would be a good fit for exactly what you're describing, Sam, is, yeah, how do those worlds come together? And I think looking at your clinical course and how it sort of really, uh, you know, fitted in with the social work or the allied health lens, you know, that Mm. targeted therapeutic work. But then... Uh, yeah, just, yeah, going through what you were offering and it just all seemed to gel really, really nicely. I like the interdisciplinary kind of approach that Therapy Dogs Australia has. It hasn't really um, cornered itself as a particular type. So um, yeah, just online chatting to Sam and it just, yeah, it was just really suited to what work I'm doing down here.
2: When did that I mean, all happen too? Yeah, I was gonna say, when was that, Josh? It was over a year ago.
1: Yeah, no, it's a couple of years ago now, I think. Yeah. Time flies. Yeah, it really does. So I'm already reassessing uh the dogs and going through the process with uh my second dog. Um, just so that I can, you know, juggle that uh, you know, rather than having one dog out for an entire day so I can switch them over mm. if I need to.
2: Yeah.
0: And for Amazing. the listeners, what what dogs what dogs do you have, Josh? What yeah, therapy dogs?
1: so <laughs> it's it's a bit of a surprise when people hear what type of dogs they are. <laughs> they're thinking, "Oh, he's got Kelpies, he's got collies, <laughs> or something." Uh, they're two whippets. So if you don't know what a whippet is, it's not a greyhound, uh, and it's not. <laughs> oh, there there was one. <laughs> um, uh, it's uh, in between an Iggy or an Italian greyhound and a full greyhound. So yeah,
2: ridiculous dogs. <laughs> I know. Ridiculous. They,
1: I know one of the oldest one is nicknamed Weasel Tick, and the, <laughs> and the younger one is uh, Land Shark. <laughs> <laughs> and they they they're really the funniest dogs to work with because, um, you know they're very hyperactive for like a mm. short period yeah and then they literally just crash and then just sleep and and actually, with the client groups that I typically work with, that rhythm actually works really well, yeah <laughs> um, because I work a lot with uh adolescents and adult men and typically on the spectrum or neurodiverse, so uh usually there's a big spurt of energy and then there's a bit of a crash, and it just seems to work really really well with um these two. So.
2: I feel like they've got, like, um really in-your-face sort of personalities, you know, like they've just got, got a lot of um charisma to them, those little dogs. Is that your experience?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, people often, I think, assume that they're quite timid. And the older one, it's interesting, they have very different personalities. So the older one, she is quite reserved and mm-hmm. uh, takes a bit of getting used to. Uh, she won't just immediately come up to you or get in, in your lap. And particularly where there's, um, you know, trauma or sensory processing uh, sort of limitations, it can be really gentle. And, I mean, you heard a bark before, but typically they don't really bark. I think they know that I'm on a podcast and they just want to <laughs> say, <laughs> say hello. But I've got, uh, but Murdy's just come up to me now and, uh, She's saying hello. She's just giving me a little nuzzle in the leg. <laughs>
0: Dougie's actually doing the exact same thing to me right now. I saw Dougie come in.
1: I yeah, saw his the, big fluffy tail. tail. <laughs> I'm sure, I don't know, the listener might want to see. There we go.
2: Oh, hello. Hello. Yeah, hello. Yeah. Hello, yeah.
1: hello.
2: puppy dog. What are you doing? So
1: Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. All right. I'll let you down. There you go. Yep. So, yes. Yeah, so, so, yeah, I... I got a surprise with using Whippets because I grew up with a Golden Retriever and a, a Labradoodle. And uh, so, yeah, Whippets have been uh, really great for the work that I've been doing.
0: I actually think I heard a fun fact about Whippets that they, they sleep the most out of um, any breed or like yeah, one of the, the biggest sleepers in the day, actually. That just came back to me.
1: I, I wouldn't be surprised. I always <laughs> yeah. joke I always joke that they're the cats of the dog world. They... <laughs> yeah,
2: there you go. Yeah. I think greyhounds and, and Italian greyhounds are similar. Like, I think mm. they're they're all fairly similar in that. They're, they're described as quite lazy. And then, yeah, once yeah. they get the zoomies, they're ridiculous. <laughs> like, ridiculous.
1: Yeah, yeah I always funny. get the joke of like oh you'll never catch up to to her you know from the other dogs and my two are just like (laughs) (laughs) zooming yeah yeah they take zoomies very very seriously (laughs) (laughs) so I have to run them like every day so um I guess just to give uh the listener a bit of an idea of maybe a day in the life of a therapy dog adventure yeah Um,
0: absolutely yes
1: so because they are prone to zoomies um i do take them typically for a walk or a run uh in the morning so they'll they'll jump in the car before uh brekkie and then we head up and go for a, a run or or a walk and that just sort of helps you know get their energy out for the day so that they're relatively <laughs> calm <laughs> um and and then uh depending on what job i have um you know, typically the therapy dog adventures, I've got some photos that I've, I can share my screen and and show what that, that looks like. But typically it's, it's an intentional dog walk, but with, uh, you know, we go out to remote locations, typically transporting with uh, the participant or client in the vehicle. So that's probably where it becomes Mm. unique where that adventure aspect comes in. It's not just walking out of a clinic, mm. uh, you know, here in Geelong, um, you know, because we do like mountain biking, rock climbing, bush walking, uh, other activities as well. So with certain activities, like I wouldn't mountain bike and take the dog with that. That's just the safety yeah. there, you know, mm-hmm. isn't um, available. So Typically it'll be walking like on a remote trail that's dog friendly. That's also another limitation in this country is mm-hmm. national parks.
2: Yes. Yeah, I was going to
0: say oh, that. It's tough, yeah.
1: And that's that's really frustrating. That does limit things, but there are plenty of walks available. But typically a lot of the places that we do work are in, uh, you know, national parks. So because of the PAT test and maybe the viewer knows Mm -hmm. the difference between a therapy dog and a assistance dog. Mm -hmm. Um, You can learn all that in the clinical course. Um, Mm -hmm. But but yeah, because they don't have a PAT test, it means that they can't go into the national park. Maybe that'll change as, um, you know, policies and that realize, you know, realize the value of dogs Mm -hmm. and I've noticed the main thing that they provide when we're on these adventures is that transition from home or school or wherever the person is, they're about to come on this adventure and the dogs do such a better job than I do at calming and regulating Yeah, and, and, and transitions can be quite overwhelming. I mean, for anyone experiencing acute mental health or other mm. uh, challenges and, um, you know, it also takes the pressure off of, you know, oh, I'm going on this adventure and uh it's all about me. But it, then the dog acts as like, a, oh, it's also about this other being mm. here that we, we are on the adventure together with. And it just, it's an equaliser. It just really helps to, yeah, dispel a lot of, you know, anxiety and pressure that people might be feeling accessing the type of mm. therapy that I offer. And so if I took every request for the dogs, I think the dogs would be coming everywhere with me all the time. No doubt. But, yeah, absolutely. But, so, but I'm trying as quickly as I can to get the other, uh the younger dog um, through the course and you know, we just passed the temperament assessment stuff the other day and awesome. um so yeah, I get the videos in. I know. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I don't know what uh if you've I'm just trying to think of what questions you might have around
2: Well, I was just gonna comment that um so I've got a like a conservation park um just like next to my house. And there's no dogs allowed in there for the same reason, but it's because of the, like, because it's a koala conservation area. Apparently it freaks the koalas out if the dog centers on the ground, but there are dingoes living in there as well. Like, so I don't, I don't know, but we do have, so we can ride our horses in there and I wish that the dogs could come because they could just come for a trail with us. Um, cause I can go out the back gate, you know, but, um, the point I was going to make is there are so many people with dogs in there doing the wrong thing. Oh, like really, And I think oh. that's where, cause I get frustrated cause I don't take the dogs in there because my understanding is it's all about the koalas or whatever. So mm-hmm. I'm like, try not to annoy them, mm-hmm. but I wish I, I really, really wish I could, but, and I said, like, maybe I could just sneak them in there, but then I'm like, Oh, but the koalas, you know? So, um, regularly we come across people in there with their dogs and they're off lead and whether the dog's under control or not, they're not even supposed to be in there, let alone off lead. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think there is a big group of people that wreck it for everyone else. Like if you could be trusted to do the right thing with dogs in there, I reckon there'd be, it'd be a lot easier. Like if people could be trusted to stick on the paths and stuff like that, because they don't, they could just do whatever. I think yeah. it, it causes problems for the wildlife, but yeah, it's very yeah. annoying. It's frustrating for us too. And I um did speak to someone. So like we just went to Washpool National Park. We went for a, um a a riding holiday down there, it's in Glen Innes, New South Wales. And yeah, like we couldn't take the dogs because it's a national park. Again, I get it. Like I, I do get it. But yeah, there's it is. It sucks when you yeah restricted in what you can and can't do but
1: mm. yeah and I totally understand the the wildlife aspect and and promoting wildlife and it probably is you know just a minority that unfortunately ruins it for the majority with you know recall and dogs that just mm. take off into the bush recall, and are chasing. yes <clears throat> um
0: <laughs> oh yeah uh,
1: and you know so I I, I do understand it for that perspective but I do think that there probably will be a demand because i do see a lot of dog owners that are just disregarding you know mm. the the signs and even when mm-hmm. i'm out with clients and they're like oh but they've got their dog off lead and are throwing the ball why can't we do that and it's like yeah. well you know i'm also you know representing mm. an organization and i'm role modeling you know the mm. fact that there are rules and regulations around um dog use. And uh, yeah, so it is, it is challenging. So, you know, we will typically visit um, a dog park or an oval or somewhere that I know uh, well, that I, Mm. you know, I know that it's going to be safe to take the dogs. Typically I avoid dog parks, just, Mm. you know, um, (laughs) Mm. uh, and you know it's taken a while because I you know about the socializing aspect but then realizing you know there are other ways to socialize the dogs and yeah um, so yeah we'll find a place you know typically within built into the adventure session so the adventure session might be two to three hours typically and then within that you know we will stop at a dog park because you know it does irritate the dogs when they like to be able to be off lead and you Know sniff around, chase a ball. Um, one of them's very food driven. The younger one, uh, the older one's uh, love language is ball throwing and, ob- <laughs> and ob- obstacle courses. So. Oh, that
0: works so well in adventure,
1: yeah. Activities, less, yeah. So, um, so yeah, it is a really interesting space because even the space I work in is an outdoor social worker or outdoor therapist, that's still quite an emerging field of practice. Um, although, you know, accessing the outdoors for better health is something that humans have done forever Mm. and, and dogs are the oldest like domesticated Mm. animal, you know, for humans. So, I don't know, it just really makes sense that kind of marriage of these three fields and, Um, Yeah, I think more like some research in this area would be amazing just to see Mm. what kind of outcomes. I mean, I can only provide anecdotal feedback, which is that clients really feel that the dog adds another really important element to their support and therapeutic Mm. um, experience. And it helps them to calm down. you know, I, I noticed their motivation is increased by having a dog present. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that uh, even their the client's body language is uh, more open, um, you know, when, as soon as they see the dog. Not that they probably don't enjoy seeing me, but the dog definitely <laughs> is more exciting to interact <laughs> <Yes>. with. <laughs> always. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, they will always
0: be the celebrity.
1: <laughs> yeah. Josh, I was talking to
2: someone, um, we just ran another Wild at Heart, which is my equine therapy Mm. training arm, another workshop, and um, I was talking to, so we were having a conversation about um, just how much we find, like, task, purposeful task stuff really motivating for our client groups, and I wonder... Do you think taking the dog, do, do your clients or participants, do you think they might see that as, well, we're doing this for Myrtle, like we're taking Myrtle out so that Myrtle can go and have fun and maybe it just gives another element to this isn't all just about me and because I've got mental health issues and I can't get my shit together and so now I'm on this, you know, organised, structured Adventure thing because I can't leave the house by myself, or whatever it is. I've got no friends. And so now my therapist's got to take me bushwalking, like (laughs) whatever might be associated with that. Like, because I do a lot of task, task and talk, I've been calling it task and talk stuff where even my kids, like, even if I'm like, we got to check the fences you know, and we just go for a walk around the boundary and check the fences, it just makes such a big difference. Like these are kids that wouldn't Mm. normally say anything to me or anyone else or whatever, but there's just something about like, okay, we'll just walk in the boundary and making sure the fences are all still on or whatever. It just seems to, I don't know, make a difference. I imagine
0: it would take the pressure off like, like you said, like it's mm. not a big focus on them. It's something else outside of them that helps them relax.
2: Yeah, and, I yeah. feel like I feel like there must be something of that to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like you, you're kind of describing the mechanisms of change in bush adventure therapy or outdoor therapy. Is that, uh, like integration of the ecological domain into the biopsychosocial model of mm-hmm. health, which has been the dominant model of health and is still very popular, you know, but it's 40 years old. Like it, it, Mm. it's, it's sort of running its course and now, you know, these ecological factors are coming in like equine therapy is a great example is, you know, fitting under that outdoor Mm. health kind of banner, you know, and then broader, you go to animal assisted therapy and then, you know, broader again, you, you, you're sort of back to that eco, domain, how do we bring the ecological into the way that we work? Um, The biopsychosocial model is fantastic. You know, the biological being, um, say, the use of biomedicines, you know, the prescription medications, you know, the psychological using our psychological strategies. And then the social elements might be, you know, running groups or, um, you know, being in public places, Mm. the Mm -hmm. social dimension. And then, yeah, the ecological going as simple as going for a walk to check the fences Mm. um, and, you know, connection to more than the human because therapy, like, you know, typically therapy has just been so individual Mm. focused and that's still important, but then it's not bringing, uh, tapping into all those other tools like, uh, you know, the natural environment to help co facilitate those changes like, you know, Noticing that the client's more relaxed when you're not just focusing on, mm. you know, you've got a problem, I'm the expert and I'm here to fix you. Yeah. It's, mm. it's mm. hey, we're walking alongside each other here and, um, you know, like when we go for a bushwalk, you know, and or even a multi-day hike, for example... Like I'm going through all of the challenges that this other person's going through. Like, you know, if we get mm. rained on, I'm wet. <laughs> I'm um, getting wet as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like, you know, oh, there's no toilets. Like, you know, I have to go out and use the bush, the you know. Bush way. Yeah. And so, <laughs> um, you know, to, it's sort of, yeah, I think it, it's those everyday things like checking fences or feeding the animals mm. and it it does remove that focus on the individual and i think it you know that's anti-oppressive practice within the social work world is uh you know really working alongside people that you know i'm just as much on a journey as somebody else and mm. uh you know it's a doing with not a doing to and I think yeah. that shift in the dynamic makes it so much more accessible to the people that are perhaps maybe more resistant to therapy, like particularly young people, neurodiverse um, people as well. It can be really confronting to just mm. sit there on a couch in front of mm. someone and saying, okay, what's going on? And it's like...
2: Yeah. Yeah. And they're not in the mood, like they don't, they don't access those areas of their brain that Mm. easily. And then when it's a, I'm finding when it's a structured time and day, like, all right, three o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, you're going to talk about all your thoughts and feelings, you know, like, I just don't know if that's working for them. You know, some, obviously some people it really does and they've figured that model out and you know, that's good. Um, but a lot of these kids, like you'll talk to them and they don't, they're not tapping into, unless something just happened to them on the way to the clinic and they can be like, oh, you like this, blah, blah, you know. Yeah, put them in the right space for yeah. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, if they've like just been had a like pretty good day or whatever and they rock up and you're like trying to talk to them about all this stuff, I find they just, they're really stuck on like, they've got nothing to they've got nothing to talk about they've got nothing to bring up and some of them even say like it's but I'm in a good mood like you know so I don't really want to talk about that shit because I'm in a I'm in a good mood yeah 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 I'm like totally I hate talking about stuff when like so I don't like people asking me questions and I'm like, oh, girl, like, just leave me alone. Like, I, I hate it. So I really, whereas when I'm in the mood to talk, I'll talk for like eight hours and be that'd be so fine. So I really get it. But I think the task and talk thing, because I've been telling parents for many years, um, you know, because kids get in the car and they're like, how was your day? And the kids are like, fine. And then that's the end of the conversation And the parents like they don't tell me anything. Like, well, they're not gonna tell you then. You know, that's they're still processing everything and they're exhausted and all those things. But when they when they talk to you the most is when you're, you know, 20 minutes into the drive and you've been, you know, sitting there and they just start to chat, or you know, it's after dinner and or you're making dinner or something like that, and they wander out and you know, and then there's, there's something that they, if they're doing something with you and they've just got you in that one spot for a bit, like, it's like, they can kind of take the opportunity to start a conversation. Cause it's like, oh, well, mum's hanging out the washing anyway. So, you know, like now I might just mention whatever, or bring something up now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, you're a hundred percent right. And I, I think that's across the board really that I've I've noticed no matter what presentation I've I've had with Mm. the people that I work with and I've really been fortunate to work with such a diverse range like I work with um, foster kids transitioning back to their um, biological parents I've worked with adults with um, like various types of schizophrenia like treatment resistant schizophrenia like this is all using the um, Myrtle predominantly, Twiggy is on her way, Um, and, uh, you know, ASD, autism, you know, usually level two, uh, high Mm -hmm. functioning, uh, complex trauma, um, you know, and I, you know, I have all my psychological strategies that I use, like narrative therapy, ACT, CBT, MICBT, you know, all the T's, you know, and, <laughs> and, and you know, the tools and the, you know, the cognitive assessment tools and, uh, you know, but exactly what you're saying, Sam, they, um, they rely on a cognitive, they rely on this part of the brain to be online, mm. which often if you're going through a crisis or a challenging period of your yeah. life, or you have a, a mental disability disorder, um, that window where that, part of the cognitive part of the brain that's online is, you know, can be very small. Mm-hmm. And to schedule that in and be like, okay, this Tuesday at four PM after school, you're gonna be ready to go. And I've got my this tool, this tool and this tool. And, you know, it's it's really letting these people down because it it's not meeting them where they're at. And I mm. think that's where the use of um Myrtle in my sessions just really uh you know, it helps to increase the likelihood of that window opening. But at the same time, a lot of the work that I do is like from the bottom up is the sensory motor type work, which is, um, you know, doing by role modeling. So co-regulating what kind of state am I in mm-hmm. and the dog's. I you know, I know they're not horses, um, even though uh whippets have irregular heartbeats like a, a horse, but uh <laughs> um but I do notice my state tends to resonate with what the dogs are doing as well. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. I find really, really fascinating. Um but yeah, that's that co-regulation of like calming myself and uh you know, breathing before meeting the person I'm working with um, and the dog is sort of like a bit of a barometer, like of where I'm at, um, also Mm. helps and, and yeah, so that's, that's sort of why I do a lot of the work that I do because yeah, those windows for those cognitive tools, I think is part of what's changing a lot in the therapeutic space is um, yes, that's important, but there's also all of these other mechanisms that can be brought into your therapeutic practice such as, um, yeah, the use of the dogs in this space.
0: I'd love, Josh, if you could walk us through a few examples of, you know, the sessions that you do and the adventures that you go on. Yeah. And how Myrtle kind of um, is a part of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering if I could um, maybe bring up a photo. Would that be possible? Yes, yeah. Yes, I thought absolutely. that might. Uh, Let me just find uh, one and then I'll share my screen. Just to um, give the viewer an idea of what a session looks like. Yeah, screen sharing turned on. Yeah. Great. Uh, Oh, you just have to.
2: Yeah, Max, you've got to turn screen sharing on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But yeah, I thought maybe a thousand uh, word <laughs> It should say a thousand words. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, um okay. it says
0: it says all participants.
1: Okay. Yep, yeah. Yeah. That'll work
2: now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, that's so Myrtle. No, we... Yep. That's that's Myrtle <laughs> in action. Oh my gosh.
2: Yeah. Doing some. Sick Obstacle coursework. Yeah,
1: Yeah, yep. And, um, you know, I want to keep the information de-identified. So I'll just speak very generally. I'll sort of blend in multiple case studies. But um, typically working with adolescent youth where they might be at risk of homelessness or, um, you know, have suffered a lot of complex trauma and, you know, in this case, you know building empathy and care of an of another can really help repair you know maybe the care that the young person didn't experience or even an adult didn't experience as a child
2: absolutely and,
1: and that has really like even telling you about this it really hits me you know really uh in all the feelings you know cuz mm. it's so beautiful cuz you know maybe there have been exposed to family violence maybe they've been abused themselves and uh to not feel worthy of the care of another and then to be able to demonstrate that care and empathy towards an animal and feel that bond I think is just so powerful you know something that mm-hmm. um you know I feel really privileged to be able to witness and um you know because to get to this moment that you're you're seeing on on camera there you know it may happen first session but typically it's you know you have to scaffold um mm. those experiences in i'll see
2: uh... i definitely find that we so um i don't get the opportunity to work with a lot of uh trauma specifically but obviously like the kids i work with have had trauma things like that and some of them yeah that like neglect or you know worthlessness and and things like that um and just not being able to look after themselves too. So like there's a barrier of like functional capacity to look after themselves in a nurturing way versus also modeling um, maybe from parents and caregivers and also, uh, you know, that mental health side, that low mood sort of thing as well. But I find, yeah, doing some nurturing of, the animals it really helps to unlock that like really gives just so much to that space and being able to then yeah get through that so we'll do things like bathing horses and stuff you know and it's just like amazing what a difference it can make it's crazy
1: yeah absolutely and and to give so I know we spoke earlier about the national parks thing but there are still I don't know if you can see this photo looking out. Yeah, it's
0: beautiful. Yeah.
1: Um and yeah, exactly what you were saying Sam that that caring for, so some of those activities might look like um so on this walk it was quite a warm day, not hot enough to not run the session, but it would have been close to 30 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um and so we had water and it was really important to stop and give Myrtle water is she okay? Do we need to go into the shade? And, uh, you know, this young person got to experience that, you know, checking in, you know, how is she Mm. feeling? What are you noticing? Mm. And it can be sometimes easier to notice what the animal's noticing. And then it's like, well, what are you noticing in yourself? And it, it it sort of, uh, like, you know, can translate to, to monitoring, uh, self because often just looking at your own state of being can be quite overwhelming, particularly for people experiencing trauma. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and this Aww. is Matt doing <laughs> her her favorite activity. Although, uh, she she hurt her foot recently, so she's resting at the moment. But um, her favorite activity is very much the ball throwing. Um. She will constantly bring me toys <laughs> in the house <laughs> Cute. and so you, handy. yeah, you can see a foot here. I don't have any, um, you know, identifiable pictures of, of clients just for confidentiality. But, um, yeah, so there's ball throwing, um, mm-hmm. uh, so indoor, oh, fun. Rock, indoor rock climbing, um, <laughs> just a little jacket (laughs) yeah just to show um it's not all outdoors I do some indoor stuff as well
0: how do you what's the sort of process with Myrtle with the indoor rock climbing like how does she sort of
2: yeah
1: well yeah that's that's a really good question so um locals would typically bring their dogs in and they wouldn't be therapy dogs but I guess there was this sort of understanding if your dog's well behaved you can bring your dog and Mm -hmm. Um, having done all the therapy dog Australia training and you know and continuing that, Myrtle's really great, and they even set up a like a climbing little carabiner thing for a dog station with a little poster. <laughs> oh my after, goodness! After I after I started bringing her in, and then they would. Totally fine with her being on on the human um on the beanbags that oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so and good. So it's really interesting because it's almost an education or consciousness raising piece in the community about um, you know, therapy dogs and how they can support people to access these activities. Mm. And um so yeah, here she was really helping with the regulation in between the climbing and the falling, because
2: um, rock um, climbing is hard. You need to, you do need to have a rest
1: Yeah, such a workout. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, and even so, yeah, definitely with the down regulating, but even with up regulating, like getting mm-hmm. the the energy going. Um, like for example, you yeah. see here, we're on a bushwalk going up the hill. And Myrtle's very much on a mission because I think there was rabbits on this track. So ah. <laughs> and right. rabbit rabbits to a sight hound. I mean, I think you can have the best recall in the world, but I definitely have her mm. on a lead. <laughs> yeah, um, just
2: in case. <laughs> um, Absolutely.
1: And then the last photo is a very happy dog that um she's got her uh harness on and I, and you can't see there, but I've got like a, um, a clip that goes onto the harness. So it's not on her neck Mm -hmm. and then she's uh, secure in there. And I don't know if you can see, but in, in the back, I have a a cage. Yeah. So I've got a crate in the back. That's removable in case I need to isolate her during the session. Mm -hmm. Um, that was sort of a big part of my risk, um, assessment and management was okay w- how if I'm out with a, a participant and it doesn't become safe anymore for the dog or the participant with the dog mm-hmm. how do I manage that and so the yeah. best way I could manage that is by having a sealed off area in the vehicle with a crate so that I could separate her and and thankfully in the t- you know nearly two years that I've been doing this um, I haven't I haven't had to use the crate once, which is mm. amazing.
0: That's great. It's it's great though, um, that it's there if you need it, and it's wonderful yeah. you
2: don't need to use it.
1: <clears throat> Absolutely,
2: yeah. you want to be over prepared than under prepared, mm. and it would be a nightmare. Like that was one of the things I was going to ask you about as well, Josh. Is mm. logistically, you know, it's it could be a nightmare if you end up in in the middle of a two or three hour booking and for whatever reason it's not going to plan in whatever way what a nightmare yeah
1: <laughs> that's that's right and you know that was part of my uh well you know and we covered that in the courses we had to look at our own context and you know how were we going to manage you know particularly being in a remote location like i carry a comprehensive dog first aid kit and mm. um and you know extra water I even have a portable mm. uh sleeping bag for the dog <laughs> if it needs extra warmth. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> so it's it took a little bit of a transition because I don't know I know other practitioners that use their dog but I I'm not sure if they've gone to this level like I've basically applied the same risk management that I would apply if we were running an outdoor activity so understanding, you know, the first aid requirements because mm. I'm not gonna be very close to a vet. And what if the dog, um, you know, for whatever reason is off lead and um, you know, they're thin skin, the whippets, so, you know, if it cut itself open, can I actually mm. manage that? And um and so yeah, it's it's been going incredibly well and um I don't know if there's anyone listening to this going, ah, oh, therapy dog adventures, that's that's my cup of tea. I, I don't know. 100%. 100%. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, uh, or if I've given even enough of an idea of what a session looks like, I'd be keen to throw it back to you both if you've got.
2: Yeah. So I think, yeah. uh, well, one of my things <clears throat> I haven't had enough time um, keeping things safe and under control on the farm. Um, cause I'm working with, y- you know, young people. I only bring certain presentations on the farm, the ones that I feel like I can keep them safe. So, uh, like that would be, you know, like flight risk and things like that. <laughs> so do, is that something that you need to do? Do you, screen clients like how do you choose who's suitable for adventure therapy because that's I guess a lot of people would be thinking like some of the clients that we see in rooms it's easy to get like some clinics have got distress buttons you know like yeah a, a I bit mean, of an old shit button yeah yeah
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah no we don't we don't have one of those buttons so <laughs> Uh, well, the closest thing we have to one of those, oh shit, buttons is a, um, what's called a PLB or an EPIRB, which is a mm-hmm. personal locator beacon Okay. Um, that we actually run through. Um, yeah, that's another, it's such an important part of it because I think most clinicians, like if uh, they're thinking, oh, I'd really love to take my dog, um, but I would love to take my dog to X park or, you know, Y reserve or whatever, Um, but it's, there's no mobile reception. It's quite remote. Well, having a personal locator beacon, I actually run through the training multiple times when you're working with the client on how to activate it. And it basically has a pop-out antenna and they push a red button and all emergency services are able to locate you within the meter, like they can um, get to you. This uh, is the first I'm awesome.
2: ever hearing of this yeah, device. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> yeah. on one.
1: They what? <laughs> they it's like a green device, and I um, I, you know, I could, uh, I mean, maybe you could post a link or something. But um, yeah, basically, I think they even sell them at Anaconda. They might have a subscription with them, but if you are working in remote locations, um, you know, just that added layer of security to know, you know, if you fall over and your client doesn't have a mobile phone they can't access yours um they can literally just flick this antenna up push the red button and emergency services will arrive if you're unconscious particularly if you're going to work one-on-one um you know yeah. in in a rural like location. you get bitten
2: by a snake or fall off a cliff
1: yeah yeah and then
2: you've got a dog and a client yeah just like <laughs> oh no or Josh, yeah,
1: well, that's that's right. Even if you are conscious, oh my and, god, and you have to activate it, you know, it. I can laugh about it because <laughs> I've been fortunate that it hasn't happened, but it does. I do have days where I'm like, wow, you know, this is actually, you know, like there is definitely I real have risk. days
2: like that, yeah, yeah,
1: and yeah, like maybe with the horses, you're like, wow, yeah. this is a really big animal, yeah, yeah, and or you know. We mm-hmm. have a lot of poisonous animals in the bush. <laughs> and, do, and we do. If something do. happened to my dog or myself mm-hmm. and my phone's not working, um, you know, sometimes well phones these days go flat and you know, mm-hmm. if you use GPS and I, I use a map system mm. to navigate sometimes and it just drains the battery, maybe the battery pack, you know, I typically take a secondary battery pack, but just that added layer you know mm. flicking flicking the antenna up but um but in terms of your bigger question about risk assessment and um you know it it really each session is individually tailored to the unique needs of each client and mm-hmm. um and I probably and I do really want to say that the when we talk about adventure I know there's probably stigma around adventure being quite able bodied fit and and that, but an adventure mm. could literally be uh, rocking up with Myrtle to somebody's house and just leaving the front door and doing a walk around the block could be yep. an adventure for them. Yeah. Yeah. And so I did want to just make that clear to viewers if they're thinking, oh, I'm not going to be driving, you know, 500 kilometres a week doing, you know, um, yeah. big walks. Um yeah and then part of the risk assessment is checking in with the person you know have you absconded like you know run away have you um uh you know like particularly around um self-harm harm harm to other um Mm. and you know there'll often be a checking in with the services or a parent or caregiver if they're under the you know under the Mm. age of 18 just to get a real sense of who you're working with because yeah I don't have a button I can't just jump outside the door and say hey can you assist me here it's like um so what what would typically happen is you arrange um a safe like when I say safe it's a location that the person you're going to work with identifies as a safe location to meet and have a talk particularly outdoors if you know If that's where I'm going to be working outdoors, we might meet in a local park, which we call a green space or a blue space might be near the beach. Um, Another layer is I have to do my community surf life saving every year in case I have to go into the drink to get Mm. a person or a dog out of the water. So, (laughs) you know, probably not the dog (laughs) because whippets aren't really prone like Labradors or whatever to get to get in there but um uh but yeah say if you're working in a green space you might meet for an hour session to do an initial assessment just to say you know um and I'll have photos of the different activities and I'll talk them through what the session will look like and then it will be uh, decided afterwards yep let's give it a go and then we'll co-design the session um do you want the dog involved do you not want the dog involved. They'll meet the dog. Does, does it feel like from my perspective, is this a safe to proceed? Mm. And then uh, from there, the dog will either be involved or not involved. I mean, if I clearly see whale eyes and licking and, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, Myrtle's uh, having a rest this week and Mm -hmm.
2: so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Were there any elements? Yeah, any, any elements that you didn't expect were gonna be something that you needed to deal with when you brought Myrtle into, into the adventures? Was there anything unexpected for you?
1: Um Well uh, I guess the I guess it's just a practical thing. I mean, all of the things that I mentioned weren't really that surprising. I kind of knew. That, that was going to happen. But I think, I think what's, uh, sort of, uh, I guess it's an ongoing challenge is that because it isn't really understood, I think the, just how beneficial therapy dogs are in this space, I think it's undervalued. And I think that mm. it's actually undervalued in terms of, um, even remuneration as a service. Mm. And I think 'cause I would get paid just the same if I just went and did the adventure therapy and I just forgot about doing the dog yeah. stuff yeah and same. and that would that would be easier on my end because I'd be like, "Great, Absolutely. you guys stay home mm-hmm. and um, and you know I think that's unfortunate because I see so much potential and you know, it's really great to have passion and run your business on passion. But I think at the end of the day, it also has to support the practitioner and also mm-hmm. the do- the dogs as well. And there's a lot that goes in behind the scenes. I mean, I, yeah. I make it sound really straightforward, but, you know, there's a lot of extra hours involved with, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not just, oh, I'm bringing my pet along to work. I wish it was that simple, but <laughs> mm-hmm. <it's Yeah>. not. <laughs> so. Yeah. So I think that's probably why I jump onto podcasts and work in the advocacy space and, you know, promoting this stuff so that people can understand the value so that if they do see, oh, wow, that's, you know, a bit more money that they see. Well, actually, you know, there's like a whole other job going on top of the job. Mm. (laughs) So, um. I'm hoping that, yeah, listeners that maybe are interested in this sort of work or um, the work that you are both doing with Therapy Dogs Australia, that, yeah, people are really seeing the value in that because it is there and, um, you know, it's it's growing, which is exciting.
2: It is exciting, but it is expensive. Like we've got people that have got, like you're about to find out, when you've got two dogs that you've got to keep, going and reassessing every year Mm. it starts to add up like I've got a we've got a couple of teams that have got three dogs you know so the costs like of reassessment every year but even keeping up their insurances feeding them properly you know you've got supplements and you know
0: joint support
2: stuff you've got to do stuff to your car you know like that sort of thing like I just my car just got the canopy fixed up it's astronomical what oh. I'm paying to have the canopy set up for the dogs to be in it comfortably. Like it's just stuff like that that you go, Oh, this is an extra cost. And maybe I would have incurred that cost anyway. Cause you know, I would have had dogs anyway, but yeah. it is certainly something I think to consider that. Yeah. We, it's, it costs a lot of time and money. Uh, and there's a lot of, even as you, um, talking about um, getting prepared for these trips and stuff. I'm like, man, so much cognitive energy, like involved in planning these sessions. Like yeah. that's, a, that's a lot to have to go through. And, and you know, I, I think sometimes I think I'm having to do a lot, but I'm in the same environment, you know, I'm either at the clinic or I'm at the farm. So same environment and the same variables most of the time, you know, so I can kind of like, Some of that can go to autopilot, but yeah, going to new and different places and mm, all that planning, that's a lot of extra effort.
1: And I think, yeah, the onus in terms of the education piece, I think, you know, I'm part of a research and policy unit as well, trying to influence government and policy in this space is also, say, uh, the NDIS model, for example, you know, having a line item that you can actually add in for this specific work i think social workers only just got recognised as their own line oh up. really yeah i think it it had to be under other therapy or something oh. so um so it you know it's a sl- the public health and even private health domain uh yeah the theory that we're talking about and the real frontline stuff there's this mm. slow kind of oh um, yeah transition but yeah I think naturally the work with more people working in this space I think the pressure to um to support practitioners to keep doing the work um Mm. because the change has to happen and um yeah so I yeah yeah yeah
2: even just the demand like you probably have found like the demand that participants are looking for something different they just you know there's gonna be that group of participants forever who are just not going to be suitable for traditional therapies like they're just not and like I'm getting them at I'm really lucky I can handpick from the clinic so you know we've got multiple clinicians at the clinic so uh, if someone gets a client that's not working um, we can look at their suitability to move them to farm appointments and that's been quite successful for us um, because we've got that first step, you know, of like, it's typically, I don't have new, new clients that we don't know out here. Um, but yeah, when you get those, those guys that are the right fit, they just excel. Like they just mm. excel. And that's not going to be the case for everyone. Of obviously, you know, like not everybody's going to be the right fit for adventure or for mm. you know, farm stuff or whatever. But there is definitely like we see huge demand, like so surely, surely there's gonna these bodies are gonna have to catch up to some yeah. extent,
1: yeah, I'll have definitely. I think i I'll have to pick your brain about the farm stuff because I think that's it's been coming on my radar too around um you know having a location that you know is set up and you Know you can go to rather yes. than, yeah. Um, but I'm sure that that's a whole other podcast. I think is talking about, yeah,
2: I'm thinking <laughs> yeah. about getting some baby goats. Oh, no. Um, nice. so <laughs> yeah. we're probably gonna have to do a podcast if I get some baby goats. Yes, yep. absolutely. They're just very funny, yeah. Um, they're so, um,
1: they're so they're ridiculous, so,
2: they're so ridiculous. And I've always been like, no, Sam, don't buy goats, like, don't you're being silly you know but I I don't know I support that I I fully support that decision very funny hilarious animals with big personalities make great therapy animals so Mm -hmm. yeah maybe because I'm doing a little bit more farm stuff you know like the kids they're a bit more um yeah even just the because I used to just go all right we can be outside with the horses or inside with the dogs because I've got two spaces. And now it's getting a lot more like just yeah, general, like generally outside, generally finding something to do, you know? And so I'm finding that's a little bit more um that's working nicely. I've got chickens as well. So yeah. you know it's we got a few little spaces that we can go around. But like I found a snake in the chicken coop, um, a brown snake last year or very early this year. Um, I can't remember. But it was, I wasn't with a client, so that was really good. But yeah, it was it's very eye-opening. And I mean, I find snakes around, but they're usually pythons or tree snakes, but this was a massive eastern brown snake and I was like great now I I'm got gonna the die of my life yeah I literally started to cry immediately I was like I didn't handle it well I was like, <laughs> everything I love is gonna die by this snake
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's so awesome with the um yeah because we'd call that place place based in the adventure therapy world you have um a hard top place based experience so as opposed to journey based and there's yeah. What does that mean? Um. Well, place-based, you know, you select a place that you are essentially setting up a base camp mm-hmm. and you have your experiences within that container. Mm-hmm. You might go out for little adventures. Like in your context, you're saying, you know, you might choose to go out to the horses. You might mm-hmm. go pet the little uh goats, goats. or, you know. <laughs> Future goats. Um, whereas a lot of the stuff that I've explained in this, podcast is, uh, journey based. So we're mm-hmm. heading out to a location, Okay. Um, yeah. but yeah, there's actually really great literature around, um, you know, that having a ritual, like a sacred space, like a container mm-hmm. like that, um, that people come back to. And that also mm. fits well with the trauma literature and establishing safety because it's predictable. Interesting. So, um, And so it's, yeah, it is interesting because I work a lot with adolescents. So that risk taking and that journey stuff works really well, but I I don't know your client base and who you work with, but you know, there's definitely some strengths with having a container space that is predictable and set up that people can keep returning back to.
2: So Mm -hmm. that's very interesting, Josh, because um, probably the timeline of how long I've had kids coming here um, and like how, you know, frequently and things like that with, you know, the kids I've got now. So I take kids about sort of eight, nine years up for farm stuff because the younger kids, I can't keep them alive, you know, like they're just going to do whatever they want. And it's too Mm -hmm. stressful for me to be like, okay, so I just need to go in the chicken coop first, make sure that snake's not in there. So like, yeah. (laughs) you know like think i like, feel like they would need too much i wouldn't be able to be like non directive with them i would have to direct a lot because otherwise they're going to die because of all these risks that are yeah. millions of ways you can die right now on this farm you know so yeah. that's where i came like i i'd prefer to have them in the clinic where um i can be quite non directive in that space you know cuz they're yeah. not going to get hurt yeah
1: yeah like i i don't work with under twelves basically or like you know I I might work with um you know nine or ten but that's you know really on the cusp Mm -hmm. so yeah Yeah. I think there's probably yeah yeah, there's um yeah I'm sure with more conversations I think there's yeah it just makes sense you know that, that would be appropriate
2: the timeline that we're sort of at um I think these kids that I I'm seeing the ones I'm seeing now um, I think that they would be at that kind of point of like getting like, this is very familiar now and yeah, we can do different things. Like maybe there's the space is opened up a little bit to them. Like we can be a bit more, I got a big dam and, you know, we can go down to the dam and see, I'm pretty sure there's a turtle in there. I'm pretty sure I've seen a turtle in there. Yeah, so we go yeah. down there. I'm like, we go. I really want to see if I can see the turtle. <laughs> the turtle <laughs> so go, go and see if we can see the turtle and yeah. stuff like that. You know. So, yeah. um, yeah, maybe that makes sense that those the yeah that being in that safe space and then feeling like they can, um, take more risks maybe with different activities and things like that because we have got this like safe person and safe space and then we can branch out a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to hear more about your farm set up and, and how that space develops. Uh, I think, yeah, there's so much.
2: A lot that, of trying to get kids to do my chores, Josh. Yes. So, yeah.
1: That's, you know, it's the acceptable way back to child labour, though. No, um, well, no, you know, yeah. I'm
2: like, listen here, someone's yeah. got to pick all this horse shit up. So, yeah. Many hands makes light work. Let's go, guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do a school well, holidays program and just get, yeah, like a heap well, of stuff see, done.
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> jo- like jokes aside, the um but it was what we were speaking to really early on in the piece around the um you know, the young person or the adult or whoever it is we're working with, uh it's not just focused on them. They're doing something hmm. that's contributing. And I, th- I think that, um, you know, as as much as it is like shoveling, yeah, <laughs> <or> shit, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, is that sense of usefulness? And I really see that in young people. They, mm-hmm. um, you know, they'll be the first to try and get around to the back of the car to start pulling stuff out of my car. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and I'm like, I love the enthusiasm. This is how we do it. But they want to show that they're capable and, um. Yeah. So I think having a farm set up would be, there's so many opportunities for that, but I can imagine you have to be pretty uh, select with who you're working with in that space, given that there's probably so many. Yeah.
2: And as I'm figuring it out as well, you know, like, so what, like, you know, what is going to work here and what types of things are these kids, what drives them? Like, it can't just be what drives me. It's got to be, what drives them. And I'm finding having, yeah, like sort of different sorts of activities and spaces set up. Cause some of them are very like husbandry. Like we want to do, th- they want to do things to look after the animals. And I'm like, great. We've well, got heaps of shit. We can do it. Look after the animals. That'd be great. Like wonderful. Yeah. um Whereas some of them, they're, you know, inside sitting on the couch, chatting about stuff, playing with the dogs, you know, and some of them, I can let the dogs out at the same time. Um, and you know, we've got, then it's a, the full experience, like dogs and chickens and horses and stuff everywhere. Um, which is, yeah, it's, but that's not right for every kid. Like some kids mm-hmm. would be distracted and overwhelmed. And then like, I've got one teenager who used to be, she, are we brought her out here because she was so difficult. Um, but now she's not that anymore. And I'm having to, like, I'm was sort of planning something for her session, but then she'd show up and she doesn't need that anymore she just wants to talk and so she actually needs to go back inside where she feels like I'm fully engaged and focused on her and
0: mm.
2: you know because she has this love of animals and things like that and that stuff was really useful like that you know doing something useful thing It she was not in a good way when mm. she came here first you know so but she's yeah, I need to keep changing with that. So for me, having mm. um, you know, multiple different spaces and activities and things like, like that that I can do. But it's a lot of mental energy. Like it's a lot of trying to figure out who who needs what or would benefit from what. And it's some trial and error too, of like, mm. you know, what's gonna work here. And I do get um like logistically, if I've committed to well, I've got these horses in this space ready for this thing, but then that kid doesn't, that's not right for them. They don't want to do that or whatever. Have I got horses somewhere where, or dogs out, or, you know, I need to lock dogs up so we can do something different, or I need to make sure these horses have got food and water, you know, and they're safely contained and all these different sorts of things that, um, can make it yeah more difficult and like you said like we don't get paid any more money like it's not I don't get paid I was thinking like I need to get paid for like half an hour before this person's session for all this Mm -hmm. like just setting up it's so much set up there's so much set up it's really different to being in the clinic and the kids just come in one after the other and you just print out a different worksheet or whatever like it's you know
1: (laughs) yeah yeah no I I I really think that's a really important piece is yeah you know it's it's great to talk about the um yeah the passion the change and that but you know I think that's a really practical element to make it sustainable um so yeah I'm hoping that yeah the value in that work will will be reflected in mm-hmm. the remuneration but you know it will probably uh take some time but if we've mm-hmm. got any change makers or policy makers listening to this Mm -hmm. you know please reach out reach out (laughs) um but yeah I'm so glad we got to um have this chat today and I'm feeling inspired particularly about your farm practice because I think there's a lot of power in the the repetition I have noticed Mm -hmm. that it has gotten easier when I first started doing the therapy dog adventures I was just like wow I'm already tired trying to run the other stuff and then Mm -hmm. adding a dog element into that therapeutic practice. I'm like, wow, I've completely lost the plot. What am I doing? You know,
2: everyone says that though, Josh, like everyone says that. Yeah. Overwhelming in the beginning. Overwhelming. It is so overwhelming in the beginning and we try and warn people, but Yeah. yeah, I think, and it's great. Like, I don't want people to not do it because they Mm. think it's going to be hard because it's only you get into the flow of it, Mm. you know, like you really get into the groove with it. And yeah, no, it's, it is worth it. And even though, you know, we do need to have these discussions about getting paid properly and stuff like that. um, It's obviously a bigger discussion to have, but um, it makes my life easier because it makes my job easier because my outcomes are better. So You know, for me, like that really drives me in that, you know, I'll have a couple of great sessions and just be like, sweet, like, hell yeah. Like these are kids that, you know, every other therapist they have has fired them or you know, they won't go anywhere else or whatever. And Mm. then you, you know, get a, get a bit of progress and you're like, sick, like it's worth it. That half an hour of setup is so worth it, you know, but again, like you say, it's like you're being driven by passion and yeah, we've all got, you know, the same bills to pay and that sort of stuff. But yeah, lots of people say it is overwhelming when they get started because they've got that extra thing to think about,
1: which it is. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Definitely.
0: Thank you so so much, Josh, for popping on.
1: Yeah, no, you're both welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Sam and Max. Great
2: chat. Yeah, yeah, really, chat.
1: really good. I, yeah, there's lots of threads there that I would have loved to have picked up. Never apart enough time. On, hey, yeah, <laughs> no, it's really good because I I wasn't sure what to um expect uh yeah coming in uh to the podcast because yeah we yeah we've really been building this as we've been going and mm. you know um yeah you know, we're all busy so you know this is the first chance i've really had to sit down and unpack it um so i'm i'm really excited it sort of reinvigorated me a bit more too about this work and that it's okay to feel a bit overwhelmed with uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
2: all
1: the moving parts that is absolutely this work so um yeah, thanks so much for having me on today. And uh, you'll be seeing Twiggy's videos coming through. Oh,
0: excellent. looking forward
1: to that. And Murdy's uh, uh, re- reassessment, re-assessment.
2: Yep.
1: stuff. Um,
2: Very exciting.
1: Yeah, the little weasels. <laughs> will, uh...
2: <laughs> thanks, yeah. Josh. Then...
1: No worries. All right.
2: See you, Josh.
1: No problem. See you, everyone.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're interested in studying with Therapy Dogs Australia or you have a few more questions before deciding, please get in touch with us by emailing courses at therapydog.com.au or visiting our website at www.therapydog.com.au for more information and FAQs.